Well, praise the Lord and welcome to Russ Podcast tonight. I'm your host, Kirk Space. Are you saved today? Do you have a born-again Christian experience that you want to share on the show? Are you religious? Are you questioning the Bible or even God's existence? If so, I want to have a conversation with you. You could reach out to me at rustpodcast at proton.me. That's rustpodcast at proton.me. You guys know I'm also over on Instagram and Facebook. You could find me on there. Shoot me a message. Get a hold of me. Let's talk. Come on, guys. Let's get people saved. Uh, so tonight, this this was an amazing, an amazing testimony. I have uh, Sister Doreen Burrett coming on. And those of you that are, are uh, followers of Jimmy Swaggart Ministries and, and SBN, uh, Doreen's late husband, Dan Burrett, um, they've been on uh, SBN a few times. You know, they gave their testimonies on Francis and Friends. And uh, her, her husband, Dan, he has wrote a book called How to Live for God in Plain Language. And it's an incredible book. And Dan wrote this book, and then shortly after he went to be with the Lord, the Lord called him home. And Sister Doreen has now, for three years taken his book all across the world and in this episode she talks a little bit about their ministry which is called it is finished ministries uh you guys check them out on facebook online you know it's this this is an amazing testimony and she's gonna come back on uh, i even i just told her uh she's more than welcome to be a regular on the show anytime she wants because she crushed it tonight and god gets all of the glory in this and she's going to come back on again, uh, probably soon, unless somebody else, uh, you know, wants to get on and record. You know, none of you guys want to share your testimonies anymore. And Doreen's got plenty of stories, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to book her as much as I can. And we're going to give God all the glory. And we're going to share with the world all the things that he's doing in her life, in my life, in It Is Finished Ministries. And Sister Doreen, uh, she's from the New York area. And I, I think I met her once or twice from going up to Cross River Tabernacle. And uh, this is just, this is an amazing, amazing testimony of, of, of what God can do. And I really hope you guys enjoy this testimony and get a hold of me, guys. Come on, like I'm, I'm drowning over here. You know, I'm trying to get Christians to want to come on and talk. But it's like pulling teeth. You know, people are telling me, I don't do that, or I'm too busy, or I have sports. Like, come on, guys. The Lord's work is, is should be at the top of the list for everybody. And the one thing that we do have to lead people to Christ is our testimonies. So, guys, get a hold of me. Let's do this thing. God's going to get all of the glory. So with that out of the way... Let's go ahead and get to Sister Doreen right now. So tonight I have Sister Doreen Bird on with me. Doreen, how you doing tonight? Well, I'm doing well, Kirk. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. You know, it's. Uh, I want to tell the listening audience how, like, we came into um, contact through Pastor Mike Chory. He's a, a mutual friend of ours. And I don't think it was an accident <laughs> how we how we started talking because you you had listened to Robin's episode because Robin sent you his testimony 
And you overheard me talking about uh, wanting to eventually homeschool my daughter. And, you know, it was it was only a little little snippet of what I was saying, like in just in passing based on the conversation. And then the night we got in contact, I was on the phone with Pastor Mike talking and I was telling him about some personal things in my life and how I really, really wanted to, you know, homeschool and, and be home to be with my daughter and telling him about some of the things going on in my life and to pray for me and, you know, this, that, and the other. And I get a text message from a number I don't know, and it, <laughs> it, it has an audio message, and I I said, who is this? I don't. I said, Mike, do you know anybody with a whatever the area code, 315 area code? He said, oh, yeah, that's uh, Syracuse. Is it Syracuse? Yeah, it's a yeah. Syracuse area code. It's a big area code. Yeah, and he said, uh, I said, I don't know anybody from Syracuse. He said, oh, well, uh, Doreen Burrett texted me the other day looking for your number. And ironically enough, the message you sent me was you heard my, my thing about uh, wanting to homeschool, and you had your daughter had wrote a book about homeschooling. I said, Mike, what are the chances? You and I were literally just talking about this, and Doreen Burrett messages me right as we're having this conversation. It was unbelievable. Well, sounds like God to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a there's a lot of that recently. You know, there's so many doors that have opened up with this show. It's just, I'm so excited to see where uh, he's going to take things, and it's just exciting to watch. So, um, well, it's, I'll tell you one thing: if God takes it somewhere, it's going to be the right direction. Amen to that. Amen. Amen. Uh, so, before we uh, get into your testimony, uh, you and was it It Is Finished Ministries? Is that the name? Yeah, that's the name of our ministry, It Is Finished. Yeah, so just tell uh, the listening audience about a little bit about your ministry, uh, what it's about. Um, I know there's a, Dan's book is involved, um, How to Live for God in Plain Language. So just tell us a little bit about that, and if anybody wants to check out your ministry or get a copy of Dan's book, where they can they can do that. Okay, yeah. So my late husband back in 09 got a call from God to to be a fisher of men, which means share the gospel with people. And we didn't know what we were going to do. So so anyway, he just we both just sought the Lord, what are we going to do? And somebody had invited us to the Philippines and we had just recently come back from there. And it was funny, it was it was like hmm, a week or two before he got the official call, which that was just like him. He just was, I don't know, he had an uncanny knack for things and no grass grew under him. He had a giant sign in his office that do it now. <laughs> <laughs> so he was out there doing it before God told him to do it. Yeah. So it's funny. And it, it is funny. He he was just ready. You know, God called him, okay, let's go. And he wanted to move to the Philippines, sell everything, you know, move out. And and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My head's spinning. Like, what's going on? Where'd all this come from? And and he was just getting on my case. Like, you know, you just got to let go. You got to let go of your country and your home and your kids and your grandkids and your pets and your flowers. And you got to stop your covetousness and just go. 
Oh, man. And so I'm on my knees later. I'm like, God, I don't know if this is you. You got to tell me. If it's not you, you got to tell him because I'm not feeling this. And it was so funny because it wasn't God. He didn't send us to move to the Philippines, but instead he sent us to 27 countries on five continents. <laughs> Not only evangelizing, but bringing the message of the cross to the pastors. Amen. And you think, well, pastor, don't they know that? Well, they know it for salvation. They might know it for healing or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or deliverance, but they don't know it for everyday life. They don't know that that's our means of sanctification, how we live for God. Right. And so anyway, we went all over the world teaching that to pastors calling them back to their first love, bringing them back to the simplicity of the gospel, to dependence on the Lord. And then we were on a bus in Mexico oh, several years ago now, but my husband turned to me. He says, God just spoke to me. He told me to write a book. And he told me to call it how to live for God in plain language. And if you knew my husband, that would be a miracle because he didn't read. He didn't like books. <laughs> he was a, a numbers guy, a business guy. You know, even when he, he was in construction and when he had to read his specs, he read the littlest part of the specifications as he had to to get the job done. You know, just enough that he knew he had to. Right. So for him to be writing a book was a miracle. But he did. And the Lord preserved 28 of his teachings. There's 28 chapters in it all about how the blood of Jesus supplies every need, if you want to put it in a nutshell, and, and how we access God's help, his grace. And so the Lord had him write that book. It got finished when he had cancer and we had to stop traveling. <laughs> we were traveling to hospitals. and But it gave him time to finish all the rewrites and get it edited and format, all the things you have to do to get it in print. And then less than two months after he got the first copy in his hands, the Lord called him home. And so he never saw what was going on. But right now, that was three years ago. And we've gotten it in, I, I believe it's 20 countries in a couple languages. We got it in Spanish. So it's all over a lot of Latin, most Latin American countries. And we just give it to pastors free of charge. And then many of his audio recordings. I remember he'd carry a little recorder in his in his shirt pocket as he preached. And, you know, I remember wondering what we'd ever do with it. He didn't know either. But God had a plan. And just like you're talking about what God did, you know, connecting us. God had a plan for that. Right. And the Lord after Dan was gone, reconnected me with our Latin American translator from Mexico. And we took him all over with us because we found out the hard way. If you spend your time and money to go to a country and you don't have a good translator, you just wasted that time and money hmm. because the people aren't going to get it. And so we had to have somebody, not just who knew the language and knew the word of God, but somebody who was a preacher and a teacher and who wouldn't just be repeating your words in spanish but would be preaching them would be teaching them right. and that's what we had and so anyway 
started working with him and, and God had put something on his heart many years earlier. He had talked to Dan about this, my late husband, but it didn't happen. Sometimes God puts things on our hearts for a later time. And that's what this was. And he want a couple things he wanted to do. One was to get a radio station, radio programming. But now was the time. And so anyway, the Lord showed me that I was to join up with him in ministry. And so that's what we've been doing. And we ended up purchasing a radio station. And it's in Mexico, up high on a mountain. And even then, I mean, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about the Lord. You know, we don't know what we're doing. We got stuff we need to do. Right. And the Lord just gets this guy hooked up with somebody who a pastor who'd work with radio stations and helped install them and do stuff. And he goes up there and he trains my guy. And next thing you know, he's got this harness on and he's climbing up and, and he's one of two people putting up a 45 foot radio tower on top of a mountain. You know? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Never done anything like that in his life. Yeah. You know, they're mixing the concrete by hand building this thing, putting it up there. And it reaches parts of five states of Mexico. And then the programming that we developed, and a lot of it is dance, and then a lot of other Message of the Cross preachers who were in Spanish, and music and stuff. They also do live call-in prayer stuff. They do um, Bible reading in Spanish and in this language, Nahula, which is a language of the indigenous people there. We would call them Indians. And it covers parts of the five states. And our programming later ended up on 19 stations in nine countries. So wow. we don't even know what God's going to do. And this was a thought he had years ago. And now it came to pass. And those little recordings he had, God also brought in the sound engineer that we had worked with not even knowing he was a sound engineer, but he would play the keyboard and sing at some of our meetings sometimes in Mexico. And he loved Dan. And so he got uh, on board and he's the one who could pull up the audio of, of the translator because the audio was strong for Dan because it was in his pocket, but we needed the Spanish. So he was able to grab that track, pull it up. He was able to clean out background noise. He was able to chop it into pieces from radio, all this stuff. There's all this stuff you don't know that you need, but God knows you need it. Right. And God has somebody there to do it because we all work together to get the job done. We Nobody can do it all. God's Amen. the one who does it. And he brings the people in place and he does that. And then we, we also started this Bible Institute and it travels around. It goes to these remote villages mountain villages to people who they don't have all this technology and stuff we we think everybody's like america and they're not right most of the world is not and these people they don't have computers and smartphones and internet and all and whatever you know i don't even know all the stuff but and they've never been to bible college so our guy goes there and he will People will come from all these other villages for a two-day conference. And if you saw these places, it's just pretty much a hole in the ground with a piece of blue plastic roof or something. You wow. know, it's primitive. Yeah. You know, 
it's just somewhere to keep the weather out and and so he'll just teach them five six hours a day and then the next day the same thing and then he'll travel somewhere else somewhere else somewhere else and he'll be back probably another six seven weeks whenever he makes a circuit and just go from place to place teaching them and when you reach the pastors then they reach the sheep they they teach their congregation they take the message to the others and and that was what the lord showed us as we went it wasn't our idea we didn't have some plan oh we'll do this our plan was, what do you want, God? Right. We'll do what you want. We'll go where you want us to go. And so God unfolded all of this, and God made all these connections. And it was it was something how the connections came about. You know, we'd be teaching pastors in Mexico. All, all of a sudden, one of the pastors was, one, was a missionary to Cuba, and then he'd invite us to Cuba. Another one invite us to uh, Peru, and we'd go there. This guy from Colombia, he he brought us down there. And then when we're there, he hooked us up with somebody in Venezuela. We went there, then Paraguay. And then when we were in Paraguay, we meet a pastor. And then he was a pastor in Argentina, but he also did missionary work in Bolivia. So, you know, he ended up taking us there. So one thing would lead to another. We did not plan things. God has a plan. A man plans his way, but the Lord directs his path. How then can a man understand his own way? You know, we can't. And if we plan stuff out, we leave God out. Right. You know, if we don't leave it open for him. So we let him do his thing. And there were lots of divine appointments, stuff that was never on our schedule or agenda or on our radar that God would just bring in there whether it was somebody on the street or a hotel or a restaurant or a gas station or somewhere, somebody who needed to be reached and God would reach them because God has plans that, that care about everybody and, and people everywhere. And then some of Dan's teachings ended up some of the video teachings are on some television stations covering about half of the country of Chile so I'm just, I'm a spectator in my own life, just watching God unfold things and do things. And when Dan passed, I knew I was supposed to keep the ministry going. Well, for one thing, too. I knew God told Dan to write that book for a reason. Right. And Dan had already started having a young lady translated into Spanish. And so that was in the works. And so that happened after after he was gone. He never saw it distributed. He never, you know, it, nothing had happened in that regard. You know, that was at his end of his life, and it was all hospitals and doctors, etc. And so, anyway, God's been doing that, and, and, and we work with other pastors in Africa, Philippines, stuff like that, and just taking the message of the cross to the lost and to the found. That's the slogan. Because the lost need it, because they're separated from God, but the found, the saved, have to have the same message Amen. to live this life, to get the power of God, to be able to walk victorious, to withstand in this evil day, to have what it takes to live a supernatural life. Because without that, we're left to our, our own strength and ability and wisdom. And that is woefully mega insufficient for anything <laughs> right. we can't live a supernatural existence without the power of god so the ministry does that if anyone 
wants a copy of that book, we ask a donation um, to help us to bring this to other ministers. We give it free of charge to these guys. And so a donation of minimum, I think I think it's, I don't know, 15 or $20 or something like that to cover our cost of printing a book to send to you, the postage, and then print one for them. So whatever God puts on your heart, and then we get those to other people. And so uh, there's a Facebook page. It is finished Facebook page, and then the website www.itisfinished.us. Praise God, and yeah, I uh, I strongly encourage you guys to pick up a copy of this book because this is uh, you know, this this is what the church is missing today. Is you know, everybody knows how to get. Well, not everybody, but Christians know how to get there and and get saved, but it's kind of seems that it just stops there and nobody really knows how to live for God. And and this book really lays that out perfectly. I, I have a copy I bought up at Cross River Tabernacle and I, I read it within a couple days and it is definitely a great read. And um, I strongly encourage you guys to check out uh, the ministry. So uh, I'll open Thank this you. up. Let me say one more. I want sure. to say one more thing about that book. Everywhere we went the feedback we got from the pastors was it's so clear right it is it's so easy to understand and god gave dan c clarity and conciseness he says i don't like to read books i'm going to write a book <laughs> that i would read because i don't like books so he's short to the point he was a new york businessman a, a construction guy and he just tells you what God says, and he explains it, and that's it. Okay, here you go. Bottom line, there you go. And that's what he does. And we didn't have a lot of time at these conferences, so he had to teach this. Sometimes he only had two hours to present it. Of course, he couldn't present everything that was in the book, but just the bare bones of it. And then other times he might have three months to teach it, you know, depending right. on how long we were somewhere. But it it is the – I – this is – I'm not saying it because he was my husband. I'm saying it because it's a fact. I think it's the easiest, clearest, most easy to understand explanation of the message of the cross out there. And then you can go somewhere else and get more in-depth stuff. But this will give you that overall, this is what it is thing. I absolutely agree with that, 100%. I said the same thing after reading it. Um, I've read a lot of other stuff, but... This book uh, really lays it out perfectly for, you know, anybody. Even a child could understand it. It's that simple. Oh, yeah, my grandkids have read it. So, yeah, and then I hear them. Sometimes they might be in my Sunday school class or something, and the stuff that comes out of them, you know, they have understanding beyond their peers because of their grandpa's teachings and stuff. Amen. You know, it's just it's amazing to see, you know, because— Dan started the book, and then you're you're finishing it now, and you're taking it all over the world. It's just incredible to see what the Lord's doing with it. Amen, amen. It is. So I'll uh, I'll open us up here with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll get into the testimony here. Sound good? Yes. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, and Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done for us, and we thank you that the blood shed by your son Jesus has made to us all of your covenant promises available now. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to sit here with Sister Doreen Burrett and, and let her share the testimony of her and Dan and 
what you have done in, the, in their lives, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that the listening audience may have ears to hear this and a heart willing to be open and accept the truth. And Lord, may you get all of the glory in this. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, you could take us uh, however you want to do this, Doreen. It's it's up to you if you want to share uh, how you and Dan came to the Lord, you know, getting into ministry. However you want to take it, the floor is yours, and uh, we'll let God lead it. Okay. Well, I'll start with this. Hell is full of quote-unquote good people. There's so many people that they would think, oh, he was such a good person. She was such a good person. And hell is full of them because that's what I was. I was religious, you know, went to church from the, from an infant on, learned all kinds of prayers and traditions and things, and but not very little Bible, actually. <laughs> you get a, a little snippet, you know, of the Old Testament or New Testament, and, and, and that was it once a week. And you didn't, nobody read the Bible. Nobody brought Bibles. It just was not a part of it. I went to the religious school. You know, I didn't hear it there. Did all their rituals, sacraments, stuff. I had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I was seeking. I remember just going and, you know, praying by statues and, you know, going extra times and, and trying to read. Well, I did read some little brochures they had in the back little pamphlets and reading that and 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 everybody would every week you said the exact same thing every time and they sounded like robots and i'm like god i don't want to do that i want to sound like i mean it you know i'm not just gonna say it like like nothing and so you know i think about what i was saying and i would say it with feeling so there was something in me seeking him trying to be good and and here's the problem when you're trying to be good and we can't then you got to lie when you're not you got to cover mm. it up you know because you don't want people to know so you're just adding to that sin and anyway i didn't know there was anything else i thought you just had to be a good girl and you had to be good and that's what it was and good people went to heaven and really, really, really bad people went to hell, like murderers, rapists, bank robbers, you know, those kind. And so that's that was basically it. But here's what happened. Okay. So, you know, I grew up, get married, and now I have my first child. And when I held her, the feeling was very overwhelming. It was like, wow, I got this human. And I got to be responsible for her for the next 20 years, teach her everything about life and, mm -hmm. and, and, and knowledge and God and stuff. I mean, this isn't like babysitting. You don't give them back later. You know, <laughs> it's like, this is <laughs> on me. And, and I got to do this. The weight of it was heavy. Right. And so by that time, I quit going to church every Sunday. I would go sporadically because Dan wasn't really interested, you know? So, and we had, I don't know, just, just, you know, living our life and stuff. And he wasn't going along with that. And it's funny because you think back 
And God wasn't a big part of life. When you had a problem, you didn't even, it didn't even cross your mind to pray about it. You know, it was more like a religious duty kind of thing. You had your prayers. We prayed before meals, after meals, a prayer before bed, that kind of stuff. But he wasn't a part of it. But anyway, when I had my daughter, it's like, okay, I got to teach her all about God. I started reading this living Bible and I'm reading it to her too. And I started going back to church and something was missing. I had no idea what. It was like there was an emptiness. There was something missing. I just felt like there's got to be something more. I had no idea what. So I just go to another church, same kind, same feeling. So now I try another one. We're living in a city at the time in Connecticut. Same thing. And all I know is the church I'm raised in. I don't know anything else. I'm not even considering anything else. I, I have no exposure to anything else. I don't know anything but my religion. That was my world. Everybody in my neighborhood, everybody I went to school with, that's what it was. And I was ignorant of anything Christian. I thought I was a Christian. They told me I was. And so I remember I tried one more church and I went there and they were speaking Spanish and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know what they're saying. Wrong church. (laughs) 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 And I remember... I saw on TV, there was an advertisement for the Reader's Digest Condensed Bible. And I used to get Reader's Digest back then. And they, they would give you these short little stories and stuff. And and so they're advertising it. Basically, they're telling you we took the boring parts out, made it more interesting. So I ordered one of those. And I had tried to read the Bible different times as a teenager. I started reading it, like the four Gospels. It was, it was a paraphrased Bible I had gotten. I read some of Genesis and Exodus, and, and I basically quit and put that away and never picked it up again. And then when I was newly married, somebody at work gave me a thought-for-thought translation, and I used to sit out on my lunch hour and read that. I didn't eat lunch, so I would just sit outside and just read it. And it was kind of the same thing. Like, I read the four Gospels, and then I read some of Genesis and Exodus, I think I might have gotten to Leviticus and got bored, and that was the end of that. So now here I am again. Now I got my Reader's Digest condensed Bible with parts of it missing. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> and I remember going to one of the churches, and I don't know what it was. It was, it was the religion. It was the apathy. It was the something in there in it. Just. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It just wasn't agreeing with me. It, it hit me the wrong way. And it was like, I just, these people are just robots. They're just saying this. Nobody's talking to each other. There's nothing here. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But I left. I left while it was still going on. Went out in the car. I drove to this little playground area and little trees there. Got my condensed Bible out, and I just started crying. And I'm like, I didn't know what to pray. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I'd been crying out to God. I didn't know what was missing from my life. I didn't know what I was looking for. It's hard enough to find something when you're looking for it. But when you don't know what you're looking for, it makes it harder. Yeah. So that's where I 
where I was and I was just crying out to God and I was reading it and I didn't know. And I'll tell you something, I wasn't getting anything out of the Bible. Looking back, I wasn't. You know, the natural man receives not the things of the Lord, for they are spiritually discerned, neither can he know them. So I'm reading it more like a novel, you know, like a storybook kind of thing, like any other book. And so I'm just calling out to the Lord. And this went on for some years. <laughs> and then we were in Rhode Island at the time by now. And I went back to Buffalo, which was where, actually, that's where I was born and raised. And so every year my family would have a reunion. So I was going back for that reunion. And I'd been in contact with this girl I'd gone to high school with. She and I were having kids around the same time, you know, time periods and stuff. Actually, we had our first two within two weeks of each other. And so I invited her to go along. And then she invited me to go back to her house afterwards. So after it was over, I went there. She was in Akron, New York. We talked for a little bit, put the kids to bed. And now we're sitting around her kitchen table. And she starts talking to me about God and about the Bible. <clears throat> and I told her what they told me in my CCD classes. I said, well, you know, the Bible, you know, it was handed down, you know, over the generations, word of mouth, based on some stories and things, but you can't take it literally. And I'll tell you something, praise the Lord. Thank God she didn't give up on me she didn't shut the bible and walk away and say well i can't reach her because she didn't well doesn't even believe the bible's mm. right so but she kept using it she didn't put her sword away she took that sword and she used it and she was preaching to me and the first thing she preached to me was she preached me lost i had no idea that my sin had separated me from God. I didn't know the wages of sin was death. I didn't know the soul that sin would die. I didn't know that sin was my problem. You know, my sins, you just confess them to a priest. Then later, when I was a teenager, I decided I could just do it myself and just talk to God. And so I would just do that. But I didn't know without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. I didn't know. I knew Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I didn't know he died for my sins. So first thing she did, she preached me lost and told me about, you know, hell being a place prepared for the devil and his angels and what it was, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter darkness, you know, torment, the smoke of their torment ascending up day and night forever and ever. And, you know, separation from God, the second death, things like that. And then she explained to me, I mean, this, it took a while. She, she explained lots of stuff. She explained why. Jesus had to die on the cross. I used to teach Sunday school for a little while, you know, different places. And I knew he did, but I didn't know why. It was just a historical fact. But she was explaining why he had to do that and why he had to take his blood and present it as an offering and a sacrifice to the Father. And the Father accepted it. Without the shedding of blood, that there is no remission of sin. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And that, that blood that he shed was his life that he poured out, paying that wage of sin. Mm. And how God accepted that sacrifice. And I remember her telling me that he's our lawyer. 
You have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous. And he goes before the Father as our lawyer. And just explaining to me the mediatorial work of Christ, that he was our representative man. I, I mean, I've learned a lot since then. But at that time, I was, I was starting to understand a little bit of why Jesus died on the cross. And she started telling me about this stuff that was coming on the earth. All these horrible plagues are going to come. There's going to be 100-pound hailstones crashing through the roof and your through the cars and through everything, you know, ripping up the whole the streets and everything, killing people. The sun's going to burn people. A third of the trees are going to burn up and the, a lot of the grass is burning up. There's going to be famines. There's going to be these diseases. There's going to be some kind of sore on people that's going to hurt really bad. And then there's going to be these creatures that are going to bite you and they're going to sting you and it'll hurt so bad like a scorpion. You want to die and you can't. And there's going to be darkness. And I mean, I'm getting scared. (laughs) (laughs) She's telling me all this stuff that's coming. And now about this point, you know, she's she's just saying stuff. And now she takes a Bible, opens it to a place and kind of shoves it at me and has me read something. And so I'm reading out. I think it was Matthew 25. And I'm reading it out loud to her. And it's talking about how it's going to be in the days of Noah. And just like they're eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, you know, up to the time that they know what in the ark that's how it's going to be when jesus comes everybody's just going to be business as usual and then you know all the destruction comes and then sodom and gomorrah with the rampant ungodly sexuality stuff and how it's going to be like that at the end times when jesus comes and how those people were warned and those people were told but they didn't believe it they heard it and they didn't believe it and it rained fire and brimstone and destroyed them and only lot and his daughters escaped and it said that's how it's going to be when the son of man returns and then matthew 24 she's telling me about the deceivers and the false prophets and different things so she tells me about this seven-year tribulation that's coming but there's something coming before that jesus is going to take his children out of here. Amen. And then she showed me scriptures. Um, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we'll all be changed in a moment and in twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And another one that talks about how corruptible will put on incorruption, immortality will put on immortality. And and she went on and, and just was explaining things. And this is what's happening. First of all, the fear of God gets in me. Mm-hmm. Then I'm thinking about what's coming. Then I'm feeling my lost state. And so I I got this in my head. By we I, I think we started talking like eleven o'clock in the morning, or I'm sorry, eleven o'clock at night. By now it's like three a.m. You know, we were oh, talking man. for hours. She just kept going, and she's preaching all over the Bible to me, and I needed it. I didn't know anything. 
I wasn't taught anything. And so I, I was just, I was hooked. I was listening. I was, you know, the entrance of God's word brings light. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And I'm hearing the word of God and it's, it's, it's illuminated me. And so now I know that all these horrible things are going to come, all these terrible plagues and 100 pound hailstones and things biting me and the world's going to be horrible. And then I'm going to die and go to hell. And I have no idea what to do. I don't know what to do. And at the end, she says, if you ever want to do this, and here's the thing. I had no idea what she's talking about. Do this. I didn't know. I didn't pick up that there was any this I was supposed to do. I did not know what she was talking about. She just said, if you ever want to do this, pray this prayer. And then she prayed a sinner's prayer. And as she was praying that prayer, I just silently prayed it in my head. I didn't tell her I prayed it. I just prayed it in my head. And we went to bed. And I got up the next morning. She gave me this book. It was called Something More by Catherine Marshall. She still doesn't know I got saved. I don't know I got saved. I don't know. <laughs> Anything happened. I don't know. I just did that. And so I drive back the 10 hours to go back home to Rhode Island. But I'll tell you something. Something changed. All of a sudden, when I was talking to God and I'm praying to God, it felt different. It felt like I knew who I was talking to. It felt like there was a connection that was never there before. And then when I picked up the Bible and read it, because I'd been reading it, it was like I could understand it for the first time ever. Right. I was understanding what I was reading. And then because I was self-righteous, because I thought that's what you do. You try to be good. And so that's what I did. And so because I was self-righteous, there were a couple things from my past. I always lied about because I was ashamed of them. I didn't want anyone to know. And so uh, shortly thereafter, it just came up a conversation and I lied about it because I always lied about it. But something inside of me was like, go tell the truth. And for the first time ever, I told the truth about it because the spirit of truth had moved into my life. And God says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And so I saw changes and then, you know, I just started trying to share this stuff with my husband, my kids, and he did not want to hear anything. I was like, shut the blank up. You know, he, he, he did not want to hear this. And I went back to my best friend in Rhode Island and I asked her, did you know this? Did you know that? Did you know this? And I'm telling her all about the stuff I learned about the tribulation period, the rapture, the second coming, about the blood of Jesus, about sin, and, and everything I asked her. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she knew all this stuff that this lady was telling me, my friend was telling me. And I used to spend a lot of time at her house and she was at my house. We were together a lot at that time. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. Did you want me to go to hell? Wow. How come you never told me? Here I am praying, seeking, crying out to God, seeking, find, trying to find him, not knowing what I'm looking for. And she had the answer and never told me. Wow. We had gotten in discussions about homosexuality or abortion, you know, little things, morality things, and never, ever shared the gospel with me 
I had to go three states away to <laughs> go find somebody who would who would share the gospel with me. But praise the Lord, I had gotten saved. I didn't know I got saved. And as I was seeking, you know, I went from, well, here's the thing. Okay, so, so my church was Catholic, and I wasn't getting anything out of it. So I think, let me try something else. And I don't know how to do anything. So, so I just find some church. Turns out this one was a Baptist one, and I went to it, <clears throat> and I'm sitting in there, and I this is right, but this was before I got saved. So I'm sitting there, and I'm like, "What is this place?" I'm looking around. There's no statues. There's no carvings. There's no incense. There's no <laughs> altars. There's no robes. There's there were no pews. They were folding chairs. I'm like, this is not legit. There's some man in a suit on a <laughs> stage and we're sitting here on folding chairs. What is this place? You know, it, I was used to religious trappings, candles and all kinds of things. I don't remember a word the guy preached. I'm sitting in the last row. All I want to do is get out of there. And all of a sudden it's over and I am surrounded by people. And they're like, who are you? What's your name? What's your last name? Where do you live? And I'm thinking, what do they want? My social security number? <laughs> what are they asking me all these questions for? And I'm like, go to a Catholic church. Nobody talks to you for 50 years, you know? And now everybody wants all my information. I got out of there, never went back. But I, but then I wanted something, so I'm seeking. So I'm like, okay, let me go. Let me go to... I'm going to pick a new religion. That's what I'm going to do. I'll go to the library. I'll get a book on comparative religions, and I'm going to choose a new one. I got this logical approach, and I say, okay, let me think. I have to have God. I have to have Jesus. I could take or leave Mary and the Saints. I don't know. You know, I'll just, but I got to have God and Jesus. And I go to the library. There's no book on comparative religions. It was a small town then. We had moved by then into this little town, but I found a book on cults. So I'm like, okay, I'll find out what not to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I get this book on cults, I remember, and I, I was reading that. And then it's funny because there's a knock on the door and it was Jehovah Witnesses. Oh, man. And so I start talking to them and because uh, they're in the book. You know, I think I told them, you're in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know that thing about blood, how you guys won't take a blood transfusion? I said, you get that from Leviticus. Now, I had not read this in Leviticus. I, you know, I skipped reading. I mean, I quit reading by then. Never read that Leviticus part, but it was in the book. I said, it says you're not supposed to eat the blood. That's your digestive system. A transfusion is your circulatory system. They're two different things. You know, like you can drink milk, but if you put milk in your vein, it's going to kill you. <laughs> so they're two different systems. And so by then, the older one grabbed the younger one by the arm and yanked her away, and off they went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But the Lord protected me, because when you're searching, the devil will try to give you a counterfeit. Yeah. And so he knew I was searching. He put those in there, and that was shortly before I did get saved. And, and so... Anyway, I started going, so I tried the Methodist Church, a United Methodist Church, and 
the guy had the robe on, there was stained glass, there were carved pews, they did the stand, sit, kneel, you know, it felt enough like what I was raised with and comfortable with, but it felt like there was a little something more there. And as we moved around, I ended up going to three different ones, never heard the gospel in any of them. And so, so that was the time I went, I got saved. So now by, at that point, I'm in the United Methodist Church and I'm still going there. I'm teaching Sunday school because there's something in my heart that wants to do that stuff. And it's so funny. I'm teaching and I'm not even reading the Bible. I don't know what I'm teaching. You know, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Ah. And my friend takes me to this creationist conference and I find out evolution's wrong and creation's true. And I always wondered about that. Like it just, I never bought the monkey part, you know? If we came from monkeys, how come there's still monkeys? You know, there's still apes now and yeah. there's still humans. And, you know, it didn't make sense. And a lot of stuff didn't make sense. It didn't add up. So I never fully bought into it, but I did buy some of it. And so this thing taught me that evolution was a lie, that creation is truth, that the Lord created us in six days, created man in his own image, and man fell. And I loved it. And I bought a bunch of cassettes back then. There were cassettes and books and stuff and started learning a lot about it. And then one day, the preacher at the Methodist church teaches how God used evolution to create the world. And each day was like a million years. And I'm thinking, no, Ugh. no, that's not that's not right. And so I quit going to that church, but I was still teaching Sunday school. So I, I continued teaching, but I wouldn't go to their service because it's like, no, they're not right. And it was funny when the, when the year ended, I went into tell him I wasn't going to teach anymore because I think the superintendent lady knew I wasn't going to the service anymore. And so I just, I, and I was explaining a little to her, but I still don't even fully know what happened to me. You know, I just don't even understand. I remember one time the Methodist minister came to my house for a visit and I'd been, I found Christian radio. And I was listening to that. And I heard the term born again. And so I asked him, I said, are you born again? And he says, I don't like that term. And I'm like, no, me neither. Because it sounded so weird. Here I was born again, but I didn't like it because it was weird sounding. And it's like, so I'm in agreement with him. Yeah, yeah, I don't like it either. That's weird. Cause I didn't understand it, you know, and they, they talked about it, but I didn't know I was born again. I didn't know I was saved. I didn't know what happened to me. I was like such a mixed up mess. And I'm out there trying to figure this stuff out. What I don't even know. I don't even know. And I'm, I'm, I'm just starting to learn some things. So anyway, um, we were talking about the old and new Testament. I remember telling them, I said, I don't know, you know, much about the old testament but i know the new testament pretty good and at that time i read the four gospels matthew mark luke and john when i got to acts of the apostles and it was talking about oh i wanted to set in order you know something almost excellent theophilus and tell you about all this i thought that's some history book i didn't know that was part of the bible I didn't know the epistles were part of the Bible. I didn't know Revelation was part of the Bible. I thought the four Gospels were the whole New Testament. I shut it. I didn't read anymore. I thought, well, there's some history book, and I'm not reading that. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I'd read.
read the whole New Testament because I read the four Gospels. Wow. I was so clueless. And and another thing that had happened to me is I was searching. And like I was telling you, the devil and his stuff. Mm-hmm. My kids were little and we were in this little play group where our kids would play with each other. And this woman, and I know it was a, a demonic setup now. I didn't know then. She started talking to me about all these things and spiritual stuff. And then she started giving me this magazine that was actually called New Age. And she's talking to me about reincarnation and, I don't know, collective consciousness, all these different things. And even, you know, hinting around about witchcraft and stuff. And I don't know. I'm just spiritually hungry. I start taking the magazines and reading them. And... As she's talking to me, and then this miniseries came out by Shirley MacLaine called Out on a Limb, and I watched that, and that was extremely new age. But it was trying to explain some some experiences I had had. Some I know now that they were demonically spiritual. I didn't understand certain things that I had. Like this psychic that had my husband... He was working in Rhode Island. We were living in New York, in Owego, New York at that time. And he he went back, started working in Rhode Island. We had to sell a house before I could move back there. And he had to make sure that job was working out. But so he goes to this bar with his buddy, his partner from work. And there's a psychic for the entertainment that night. And they walk in and the woman says, gentlemen, don't worry, your project's going to turn out fine. And he's like, what? That, and he's thinking to himself, that's some specific language. You know, you don't just say project to people. And so when she took a break, he says, let me buy you a drink. And so he started talking to her. He goes, tell me something about myself. Now, remember, I'm in New York. He's in Rhode Island. She says, show me a picture. And he gives a picture of our girls. And they're like one in three at the time. And she's touching them, touching the picture. She's like, New York. New York keeps coming to mind. He goes, yeah, that's where I live. And then she starts telling stuff about my girls and about me. Said I'd have a career writing children's books, which I did not, by the way. But unbeknownst to my husband, I had ordered this correspondence course and I was taking it on, you know, how to write children's books. And he didn't even know that. Wow. And then the other guy, he says, tell me something. And so he hands her a picture of his sons and she's feeling the picture. And then she says, Connecticut, I'm getting Connecticut. He goes, yeah, I live in Connecticut. And she says, you're having an affair. Your wife knows about it. She's a tarantula. She sniffs your clothes. Well, this guy was having an affair. And I knew the woman, I had met her and she did wear stinky perfume, you know? So (laughs) the wife was smelling his clothes, but isn't it interesting? Wow. That they're calling the wife the tarantula. But he's the guy committing adultery, mm-hmm. cheating on his wife running around, you know? But she's the poor woman at home, and, and she's the bad guy. Mm. And I found out later, see, I wondered about that. I wondered what was that. And as I'm reading the New Age magazines, they're talking about the collective consciousness and how you can tap into this and get information and spirit guides and all this stuff. But it was it was presented in a, a good way. And so it's making me wonder about that. I now know that psychic woman was getting information from demon spirits because they have information. They presented that information. They speculated on some things. 
And just because somebody tells you something and it might be true, that doesn't make them from God. Right. And we have to be careful. And even now, there's like the Lord said, there's false prophets who will tell you stuff. And just because they say something and it's real and who could know that or a conversation that nobody knew. Well, demons can hear and they're around and they know stuff. So there is an explanation for that. So I was starting to get sucked into that new age stuff. Thanks be to God. He finally got somebody in my path. After years of seeking, I got saved. I still don't know much anything. So I'm talking to this minister. He doesn't know anything either. (laughs) I'm listening to the Christian radio. I'm taking all these notes. I'm like, I'm eating it up. I'm like, I'm, I am so hungry and I'm just writing all these notes down. And so I remember one day, some guy's teaching me something. I'm writing notes. I'm like, wait a minute. And I go back to my notes, like from three days earlier. I'm like, wait, wait, this guy said the exact opposite. And this guy's using Bible and that guy's using Bible. I'm like, God, how do I know who's right? They're both using the Bible and they're saying opposite stuff. And I was confused. And then my friend who never preached to me took me to this conference and this quote unquote Christian minister was teaching all this stuff. And I remember I bought 13 of his clearance cassettes and listened to every one of them. That guy was mega new age. His stuff was all new age with, you know, all kinds of teaching, but he had a lot of scripture. He had memorized the entire books from Romans to Revelation, he had memorized big portions of the Old Testament, and he would use all these scriptures. So it was very deceptive. So I am like so confused with my Catholicism, my humanism, my feminism, you know, trying to get over the evolutionary stuff, philosophy, psychology. I don't know what's going on. And one of the big mistakes I made I picked up some of the books that this guy recommended, that new age Christian minister who was not Christian. But, and I I thought, I understand this a lot easier. And I basically put the Bible down and I was reading those books instead. So now I'm getting sucked more into all that stuff. And it was interesting. I let my friend borrow the cassettes and I had them in a little box of 13 cassettes. And she got back to her house and she calls me and she's she's wondering if she left them. Well, she did it. She had them. And all we could figure out was she set them on the roof of the car while she was strapping her little boy in the car seat and probably left them on the roof of the car and they flew off. And so I actually drive the road looking for them for her. Can't find them. And I think, well, maybe God wanted him to give them to somebody. But I think he was taking them away from us. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh and then then we moved to this community that I live in now in upstate New York. And I finally, after like two and a half years, get in a real Christian church. I had never been in one. I had, I'm just out there floundering around. And let me just say this. God does everything he can with what he has to work with. I didn't have a good Bible. I didn't have a Christian church. I had a Christian radio that was giving me conflicting messages. Mm. But I wanted 
truth. I had a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so at this time in my life, Dan was a drug addict. He loved pleasure and he got playing around with it. He was working in a bad section of town and, you know, he had smoked pot and stuff before and he tried some stuff when he was in the military before I met him. But he wasn't using drugs. He was just, you know, drank and rare occasions smoke pot. But now he got into, you know, cocaine and then he got into crack and he got hooked. So there were there were problems. For one, you know, it opens you up to demonic stuff. And the the I know now they were demonic manifestations, but I didn't know that then. I just know he would get really mean not physically but you know verbally and you know and others you know just knocking stuff down that kind of stuff and life was hard he would be gone for days he would take the money you know he'd get his paycheck and i wouldn't see him for days i wouldn't know when he was coming and you know they shut off the gas sometimes they shut off the electric you know different things like that uh, i remember I had already lost one car to a bookie when he had, before that he had a gambling addiction and he got in trouble and he had to take out a loan for a thousand dollars. And, 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 you know, I was trying to be gracious and understanding. And, and so we paid him off, but then it wasn't long after <laughs> he drove off with my car <laughs> because he had to pay him. I found out later he had threatened the life of my children. But I didn't find that out for years and years later down the road. So anyway, then with the drugs and again, I lost a car. It, okay. I know I'm jumping around a lot, but here's one of the other things. We were going to buy a house. We were looking at two houses. One was a city house. One was a country house. The city house wasn't the nicest and the neighborhood wasn't the best. The country house highlight you know it was a beautiful country house you know just what you'd want to raise a family but i told god whatever you want you know what i want but you but whatever you want lord and we ended up buying this duplex and god knew because when i lost my next car to the drug drug dealer or whatever whoever took it I didn't have any transportation. If I was out in the country, what am I going to do? But because I was in the city, I could put my kids in the wagon or this double stroller and I could take them to the library. I could go to the post office, to the bank, to the grocery store, the drugstore, wherever I had to go. And then like my daughter tells me, she goes, I felt like such a big girl when I got to walk back and you know the little sister would ride because i had groceries in there you know <laughs> and and that's what i tell her you're a big girl you get to walk and i never told them anything bad about their daddy they just wondered where he was i said oh he went to work well he did two days ago but you know i'm not gonna tell them right <laughs> they just think you know he came home after they went to bed and he went to work before they got up because i didn't want them you know have any bad feelings toward him right but god knew what i needed and he provided and i was able to function that way so i remember praying i said lord should i divorce dan 
maybe I married the wrong person. I didn't know you when I got married. So maybe you wanted me to marry somebody else. Now remember, I thought Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the whole New Testament. I don't even know the epistles are part of the Bible. But God had me open up to 1 Corinthians. Um, I can't remember. I think it's like 713 or something like that. It says, and you, O wife, if you are married to an unbelieving spouse and he is pleased to dwell with you, stay married to him. And my eyes went right on that verse. Huh. And it was like, there was my answer. And like two verses down, it says, how do you know if he's going to get saved? And so it's like, okay, God just told me to stay married to him. And I remember the feelings I had for him because he would get, he was, he was mean and he'd call me every foul, filthy thing in the book and everything was my fault. And he was, he was just mean and miserable and, you know, very unpleasant. It was, it was hard to be around him, especially, I guess, when he was coming off the drugs or whatever. And, you know, we're, I was walking around on eggshells trying not to make him upset. And, and I was, as I'm reading the Bible, I'm learning stuff. It's not just the Ten Commandments, which I'll say this, I only learned nine growing up because the Catholics mm. took out the second commandment, right. which says, don't make a graven image, don't mm. bow down to them, don't worship them. They took that one out, but if they went around saying nine commandments, people would catch on. Right. So what they did, they took the tenth commandment, don't covet your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's spouse, and they split it in two parts, so there'd still be ten. So that's what I learned. And when I found that out, I was so shocked. Like, I can't believe they changed the Ten Commandments. Yeah. And they did. And one time when I went back home to find the Catholic Bible my mom had, I looked it up because, like, maybe it was wrong in their Bible. And it wasn't. It was right. But they don't know because they don't read it either. Right. So anyway, I thought that, you know, that's all that was sin. And as I'm reading the Bible, I'm finding out there's way more things that are sin that we don't even know. You know, jealousy and pride and anger and drunkenness and I don't know, all these sins of the heart and stuff. And so I recognize the feelings I have for my husband are not good. They're not right. And so I'm praying. I said, God, help me love him. And I, that's why I kept praying. Just help me love him, Lord. And I'm waiting for a magic wand. Just boop, boop, zap some love into me, you know. <laughs> but God doesn't do magic. The devil does magic. God does miracles. And instead, he shows me as I'm reading in the Bible. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And by so doing, you're going to heat coals of fire upon their head. So I start doing that. And I just start repaying evil with good and being nice to them and stuff and mercy came compassion came love followed and i realized he can't help it he's bound by his drugs he's bound by demons i'm the christian here i'm the one who's supposed to be acting different you know right. he can't but i'm a new christian so you know i don't even understand it but but god showed me that and so I'm asking him, how do I do this? How do I live this life? And he gave me like three different scriptures that I remember writing them up and I put them where I'd see them every morning. Uh, <clears throat> every time I went up and downstairs, I saw them. And one was, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose. 
And so I didn't know exactly what that meant, but I just knew that was one God gave me. And then another one said, whatever things are good, whatever things are noble, whatever things are a virtue, whatever things are praiseworthy, whatever things are excellent, there's one more in there, honest, true, meditate on these things. So when I'm thinking about it, you know, that's that wasn't what I thought about most of the time. <laughs> I was thinking about what was me and my problems and my kids and my family, et cetera. So I wasn't thinking about all that stuff. That stuff was God's stuff. And so God was telling me, think about that. And, and, and along that note, I remember one time my friend had a baby and some of us other ladies went over there to see the new baby and we brought her gifts and we had this great time with her. It was so wonderful. We're all happy and I'm driving back home and I got this nagging feeling like I'm forgetting something. And I'm thinking like, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? And then all of a sudden it just kind of happened. I realized I was forgetting all my problems. And as soon as my rough, horrible life <laughs> came back to me, because I was focused on somebody else and on their life and their happiness. And all of a sudden that elephant came back on my shoulders and you know, <laughs> the weight came back on my shoulders because what we're thinking about influences us. Right. And that's why God's telling us to think about stuff about him because that's, that's different and, and you know to magnify him not magnify our problems but the other thing he told me the other verse was take no thought for tomorrow tomorrow's going to take care of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil therein because instead of just the problems you have i was borrowing problems from the future well what if my kids grow up with this kind of home and this kind of family and you know and you know i'm just picturing it to always be the way it is but god's telling me don't think about that and it's kind of like you know sufficient unto the day is the evil there and there's enough today today's you know you can't live in tomorrow you can't live in yesterday either so i was just that those three scriptures really anchored me and i remember my friend took me to this concert it was in a high school auditorium the friend that never preached to me, that one, who took me to the New Age one, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she took me to a Ray Boltz concert. And back then, this is the late 80s. He's in, a, he's in a high school auditorium. And here's a funny thing. I asked her later after the concert. I said, that was nice. I said, but why were people trying to ask him questions while he's singing? I said, that's really not polite. They should have waited till he was done. I didn't know why they were lifting their hands. They're just praising the Lord, lifting their hands. And I think they're trying to ask the guy a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. <laughs> I didn't know. She didn't know they were praising the Lord either. She just said some people do that. But she never explained anything. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I bought one of his cassettes. And I remember, I have not even been saved very long now. Okay. This is still before I ever got in a Christian church. I'm at this point. I'm still. There, there were two times we were in Rhode Island. We were we were there, moved to New York, and then moved back to Rhode Island. So we're there. I'm, I'm listening to this cassette, and there was a song called Shepherd Boy, and it's talking about Jesse the prophet, or I'm sorry, Samuel the prophet going to Jesse's house. And 
Saul had been rejected as king. God told David, stop mourning for Saul, fill your horn with oil. You're going to go to Jesse's house. You're going to anoint one of his sons as the future king. So the song, and then that's where the song picks up. Jesse calls his sons and David, or Samuel goes to anoint one of his sons as king. And the song says, one by one, Jesse's sons stood before the prophet. They knew a king would soon be found. Each one passed except the last. No one ever thought to call him. And and David had gone through all seven sons. And he's like, oh, it's got to be this guy. He's big, yeah. tall, and handsome. And God says, no, you're looking at the outside appearance. God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it's got to be the second one, you know. And, and look how strong he is. And God says, no. And, and he goes through all seven. And God says, no. And then he turns to Jesse and he says, do you have another one? He said, ah, just David. He's out there with the sheep. And that's what the song says. Each one passed except the last. No one ever thought to call him. Surely he could never be the one. But when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Even though his life is full of ordinary things, in just a moment, God can touch him and everything can change. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. And I had no idea what happened to me. I just know, like my knees got weak. I started crying and sobbing so strong. I had to, like I backed up to a door just to hold me up. I didn't know the spirit of God came on me. I didn't know what was going on. I was just trembling and crying and and I just cried out and I said, God, I look at my husband and I see a drug addict, but you know what you're going to make of him someday and help me believe you for what that's going to be. And God gave me a gift of faith to believe for my husband. From then on, I never prayed if he got saved. It was when he got saved. Lord, when he gets saved, this or that. And I just believed for him. And, and, and God was just touching me and and there were things i didn't understand that god was doing this one church with some false doctrine i was i was gonna go i had gone there a couple times and then they were gonna come to my house and do this bible study and i remember i had this icky creepy horrible feeling so uncomfortable that i called them up and canceled it and now i know people call that a check in your spirit mm-hmm I didn't know what that was, but God was protecting me from the false doctrine and from what I would have got in because I was so vulnerable and I was such a new baby in the faith and I was so hungry for things of God and I didn't know anything. So anyway, life was going on. My husband's once in a blue moon out of guilt or something, we had a little mail slot in the door, one of those things that the mailman would put mail through. And so once in a while, when he got his paycheck, like in the wee hours of night or something, he'd drive by and he'd put a $100 bill in there and he'd be gone for days. So I had some money, but a lot of times <laughs> there wasn't any. I remember like, you know, having to feed the kids. It's like, okay, well, they can have peanut butter for dinner tonight. I remember one time oatmeal or popcorn. That's all I had. It's like, you know, the, there's no food. <laughs> and it's like, I'm giving them popcorn for dinner. Well, then I read in the Bible. And it says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Your father knows what you need. He says, consider the birds of the air. 
they're not planting seeds they're not building barns they're not storing up but your father feeds them you know and you're of more value than the birds and don't worry about what you're going to wear look at the lilies consider the lilies how beautiful they are they don't toil and spin but even king solomon in all his splendor wasn't arrayed and dressed like one of these you know and, and if god so clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow's gone how much more is he going to clothe you oh ye of little faith and i remember shutting the book and saying okay i just believed it i'm like okay and it wasn't like two days later my friend invited me over for dinner and we had this big dinner and i remember thinking wow meat i don't remember when i've eaten meat you know <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> whoa because you know when you're married to a drug addict the money was low and so i'm just believing god to feed me and you know i don't know how he's going to do it but that was the way he did first and then this woman came to me and asked me to watch her baby while she worked and i started watching him and the money that i got bought food and another woman who was raising her grandson came and i watched him part-time and so god just brought people my kids were little guys i wasn't thinking about you know getting a job i was home raising them but god brought people to me who brought me money who paid for food for my kids and he provided for them praise god and it was just yes he's, he's faithful and i just believed him and he took care of stuff anyway we ended up moving to upstate new york and thankfully and my husband moved there first he he got a job and we were trying to sell the house in rhode island and it was a duplex and we had problems of course if you're a drug addict you're not paying your mortgage right and our tenants weren't paying hardly anything some months they gave us twenty dollars you know and back then the rent was 550 dollars. i mean they weren't paying either and they both had jobs and they lived next door and i just saw them spending their money every which way but rent so so we got behind our house went into foreclosure and i remember day and night the burden of that and we had somebody who wanted to buy the house but it wasn't going to be enough money because we hadn't owned it long we didn't have equity so by the time you pay the closing costs lawyer fees etc and i think there were late fees because you know we we're late it's like we were coming up short and it was you know close we were we we're trying to figure out how can we make this work and not have the house foreclose and lose the house and i'm just praying day and night lord don't let us lose the house don't let us lose the house let the sale go through lord and i remember we asked my father-in-law dan asked him to borrow some money and he had mega money at that time and he wanted to borrow five thousand dollars which was pocket change to him at that time because business was doing well that year you know and he said no but i was praying too lord whatever it takes you know i want dan to get saved do what it takes do do what you have to do and so he he said no we couldn't borrow it and we didn't have anywhere else to go for it and we had a we had a couple other things we were trying to do none of that's working so i just keep praying don't let us lose the house don't let the foreclosure happen and then one day i don't know where it comes from i just said lord i'm giving you this house if 
they repossess it. If it forecloses, they do. If it sells, it sells. If it, you know, whatever happens, happens. It's your house, Lord. And this huge weight went off of me. And the house did foreclose. <laughs> it did. And we ended up moving. And thankfully, we had a VA loan, so the VA stepped in and paid it. And we didn't stiff them. It took us 12 years to pay off the debt, but we paid them back every penny, plus all the costs and everything else. Anyway, so we got that done. Um, we move here. I get into a Christian church, and they had a lot of what we call Bible apologetics, which is stuff that teaches you things about the Bible and Bible truths and Bible doctrine and teaches you false stuff. So I started learning leaps and bounds. I ended up becoming the librarian. I read like every book they had, whole commentaries, whole Bible commentaries. I was just reading this, reading it to my kids. And in the meantime, actually, my kids got saved. I told you, I started reading the, the Bible to my daughter when she was just a baby. So I've been reading, reading to her because I wanted her to learn about God. And so I've been teaching them stuff as I was learning. And so one day we're just sitting up on my bed and we're talking. And I remember it, I'd already had the conversation with God. I was teaching them the Bible. And, you know, I, I'd asked God, I said, Lord, you didn't write a kid's Bible. You only wrote one Bible. But there's scary stuff in here. Am I supposed to tell my kids about hell and stuff? I mean, that's scary. I don't want to scare them. They're little innocent things. And But then, you know, I remembered the verse that says, and you shall teach these words, meaning the word of God, diligently to your children when they rise up, when they walk by the way, when they sit down, when they lie down, you got to teach them this words. And I'm like, you told me to teach them this Bible. And there's stuff in here that I would never talk to a kid about, but you wrote it. So you must know what you're doing. So, okay, I got to tell them what you said. <laughs> so I was talking to them about hell and they did get scared. <laughs> and my daughter said, well, I don't want to go there. What do I have to do? And so I told her what you have to do. She said, well, I never did that. And then the other one, her sister's like, well, I never did that either. And so right then and there, they both prayed and got saved. And so, so they got saved. And then they came to recognize that daddy wasn't. And so even though they didn't know what he was doing, they knew he wasn't saved. He wasn't coming to church with us and all that. And um, they started praying for daddy like every day. And they always prayed for their daddy. And sometimes they they draw a picture and they write a scripture on it and then they give it to them. And and so they were doing their little witnessing thing. So I started unlearning tons of stuff. I started learning why Catholicism was wrong, learning why their communion is wrong, why it's the ongoing unbloody sacrifice of Calvary and a denial of the finished work of Jesus. They're sacrificing him again. And why that wasn't the real thing when Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. He instituted communion to proclaim his death until he comes. So we don't forget the sacrifice. We don't forget the place of victory. Right. We don't forget the price he paid for us. And so I came to understand why, why that was wrong. And I remember... 
I remember like it was almost three years into my salvation, but I, I'd only been in a Christian church for like a month at that time. And my husband's grandmother died and we went to the funeral mass. And I remember they did communion at this Catholic mass. And, and I went up to it because I'm thinking, well, I haven't had that in so long, but I had that icky check in my spirit, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know why I had this really bad feeling and God was trying to tell me not to do it. And, but I did go take it. And then later I read about why Catholic communion is different than Protestant communion. And, and that they're supposedly calling Jesus out of heaven and sacrificing him again and denying that the work is finished. And that's why he's still on that crucifix on that cross, mm -hmm. whereas the Protestants don't have him on the cross. See, I have to unlearn all this stuff. And I took that communion. And then, and then when I read that, I'm like, Lord, I am sorry. I will never do that again. I didn't understand. And then I understood that he was trying to tell me not to, but I didn't know why I had that icky feeling. I didn't understand it. I know I was creeped out later as I went back with the statues because I'd learned that they were wrong and, you know, some of the other stuff. But I didn't know about that. So, you know, I obtained mercy because I did it in ignorance. And so anyway... It was a process of unlearning stuff, unlearning psychology, you know, because I was I was steeped in that. I studied that in high school, college, all that, and read, you know, when my kids were little, your child's self-esteem. You know, I read that book twice to make sure I would give them good self-esteem. And come to find out, we already love ourselves too much. Right. <laughs> and when God says, love your neighbor as yourself, the assumption is there that you already love yourself, and you do. When that plate of cookies goes by and you see that big one, you want it for you. You don't want it for your best friend. You don't want it for your spouse or your kid. You want that big cookie. And then when someone else takes it, you're disappointed. Right. You're selfish. And when somebody passes a group photo around, the first one you look at is yourself. And if there's 30 people in the picture and you look good, it's like, oh, it's a great picture. And it doesn't matter that this one's picking their nose and the other one's got their eyes closed and, you know, this one looks fat. If yeah. you look good, you think it's a good picture. Right. But if you look bad in that picture and 29 people look good, you think it's a horrible photo, get rid of it, you know? Yep. <laughs> because we're self-centered and selfish. Pride. So I had to learn that kind of stuff. And, you know, we still, I still have all that, you know, not all, but, you know, still have all that selfish self-centered stuff in there and i'm a work in progress and god's you know working on it but i'm i'm not where i was but i'm not where i'm gonna be i'm being conformed to the image of christ amen and he's still working on me and so i started unlearning a lot of stuff psychology you know it, it starts out with the wrong premise it's built on the wrong foundation you're good you're a good person something went wrong Something happened and made you have a problem. Let's try to fix it. We'll find out what it is. So sometimes they can identify a symptom and a cause like, oh, you have these relationship problems. Well, that's because your mother, you know, beat you and your uncle sexually molested you. And so that's why. But they have no answer. And the Bible says there's none good no not one there's none righteous there's not a just man on the earth one that doesn't sin your heart is desperately wicked and it points you to christ yep. psychology doesn't point you to god it points you back to yourself 
So I had to unlearn a lot of that stuff. I had to unlearn a lot of feminism stuff. You know, I'm reading about wives submit to your husbands and I'm like, yeah, I don't agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up with a feminist here. I wasn't a mega feminist, but when I grew up, they were singing all those songs, burning their bras, talking about women's lib and power. And I was taught that a woman can do anything a man can do. And, you know, and male chauvinist pigs, all that stuff. It was, you know, that was the era I was raised in. I had older sisters who were mega feminists. So I had to unlearn a lot of that. I had to learn that when I didn't agree with God, he was right and I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I started out thinking God was wrong, but I wasn't even thinking it was God. I was just thinking what I read was wrong in the Bible. But then I found out that was God talking and he's right and he's always right. Right. <laughs> and I had to agree with him and that's called repentance. Repentance is changing your thinking. And 36 years later, I'm still repentant of anything or everything, whatever. God's stuff is not what I think. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death and destruction. And so, you know, I had to and continue to unlearn stuff and just agree with God with whatever he says. And so that life of repentance, he said, therefore, my beloved brother, and I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that good and perfect will of God. So what does God want? What does he think? I got to renew my mind. I can't do it the way of the world. The world's ways, God said, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so much higher are my ways than yours and my thoughts than yours. And so it's it's a continuous process of learning the word of God, which is a revelation from him about his son, who's the word who became flesh. And just learning his ways. The way of the Lord is right and the righteous walk in them and are glad. And, and I'm learning to trust him. I, I'm just learning to trust in the Lord with all my heart. And I remember 1996, Sebring, Florida. I used to quote that verse, that passage, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. And I used to teach that, preach it to people. But then one day God preached it to me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I'm going around this curve and the Lord just drops that into my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And he, he emphasized that word heart. And in it, it's funny because he doesn't, for me, he doesn't like say all the words, but I get them. You know, at times he was telling me, you're trying to trust me with your head right. instead of your heart. You're trying to understand. You're trying to figure it out. And I would try to figure out what God was doing. And it hindered me a lot. Because I was trying to understand what was going on and what he what he was doing, where he was leading me, why he was doing it. Instead of just going along with him. And 
I felt so stupid. Like, man, I've told that verse to so many people. And I even, I, at that time I'd studied, if I studied it in English, looking up the words in English, because I didn't know you could study out Hebrew and Greek. And, mm. you know, I didn't know about that. Now I, now I do those word studies and learn more, but I'm like, so here I am telling other people and I'm not doing what it says. I am leaning on my own understanding. I'm trying to trust him with my head. I'm not trusting him with my heart. And <clears throat> trust is for when you don't understand. If you understand, you don't need trust. So that has helped me and it's still helping me. And I'm still learning to trust him with stuff. We can panic out trying to figure out God and, and not know what's going on. What if we trust him? We got to know that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And that if we acknowledge him, we include him in all our ways. He will direct our path. Oh, I got testimonies about that. I can't tell all the testimonies. He's done so much. Amen. But I just, oh, man. Oh, <laughs> I just got a really good testimony on that one. That was a recent one, but, but you know, I don't have time to go through all that. But God just walked me through so many things. He got me in a church where I learned, I learned a lot of the word. I unlearned a lot of false doctrine. I learned a lot of Bible prophecy. But... I didn't understand a lot about the grace of God. I, I knew it theologically. I didn't understand justification. I didn't understand sanctification. I, I, I had a theology of justification. God made him, Jesus, who never knew sin, to become sin for us, that I might be made the righteousness of God through him, or we, you know, but I'm personalizing it. So I knew that. But I didn't live that. I just kept thinking God was disgusted with me because I couldn't be a good enough Christian. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to see me coming. You know, he he didn't like me because I couldn't be everything I was reading about in the Bible that I'm supposed to be. And, and I had a lot of condemnation. And then when I was introduced to the message of the cross and that teaching back in 93, it started. And with a, a home church video and I, I i i didn't think that teaching was god but but god showed me it was and then i started learning more and i started growing in grace because i remember asking him what do you mean grow in grace how do you grow in grace what are you talking about great grace was upon them how did somebody have more grace than somebody else how can you get that? If you can't earn it, it's undeserved. How does somebody get more grace? And then I remember another thing when I'm reading the Bible and I'm like, wait a minute. I got to find out how this ends. Because the last thing you say is the most important thing. If you're going away on a long trip, the last thing you tell them is what you want them to remember. Right. Or if you're dying, your last words are the most weighty, important words of what you want them to remember. So I went to the end of the book, end of Revelation, and I read the last verse. And it said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It, I was unfazed. I didn't get it. I didn't, it didn't say anything to me. But now since I've grown in grace, 
I've come to understand that grace is God doing it, not me. Grace is him doing the supernatural thing. And I came to understand that he who began the good work in me, he will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who called me is faithful, who also will do it. He presents me faultless before the throne. He keeps me from stumbling. The God of peace himself sanctifies me or conforms me to his image, separates me from the world unto him, makes me holy. He sanctifies me, body, soul, mind, and spirit. I was trying to do God's job. I couldn't do it. That's why I had condemnation, failure. If I did good, I had self-righteousness. If I didn't do good, I had condemnation, you know, and and I would just look at myself and knew I wasn't doing it and wasn't right. So I got so discouraged. But then as I understood who I was in Christ and what he did for me, that his perfection is what pleased God. He was my representative man. He fulfilled the law in my place. He took the penalty of the broken law. He gave me his righteousness. Here's the thing. He did everything right. Right. He never did anything wrong. He took my sin penalty. So there's no sin I can do to change the life Jesus did and the payment he paid. That's what I offered to the Father when I accepted him, when I put my faith in him, when I received him as Lord and Savior. See, I believe facts about Jesus ever since I was a little girl. I believed he was the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, came to earth, did miracles, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. And, and so I believed correct facts, but my faith was in Doreen trying to be good. Mm. And I asked God, I said, wait a minute, what are these guys on the radio? They said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If you confess him before men and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I said, I did that ever since I was a little girl, but something's different now, you know? I said, what's the difference? And he showed me two things. One, believe in facts is not believing in him. That's believing about him. I was believing in me and in my good works. So I had to take my faith off myself and put my faith in him. And then I had to receive him to as many as received Jesus. To them, God gave the right to become the children of God or the sons of God. To those who called on his name, who weren't born of flesh or blood or the will of man, but were born of God. And that was a born again thing I didn't understand. I had to be born again of the spirit because flesh and blood couldn't inherit eternal life. God's a spirit. We got to worship him in spirit and truth. I had to have the son to have life. He is the life. And whoever had the son had life. Whoever didn't, didn't have life. But the wrath of God abounded on him. And so I had to receive Jesus. I had to take my faith off me, put it in his sacrifice, his perfection, and die to myself and offer that to the Father. Hallelujah. So that's, that's what I came to understand. So that's what I present to God. I give him the life of his son. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so without faith, it's impossible to please him. But with faith, it is because he's pleased with Jesus. He's not pleased with me. He's not pleased with you. He's pleased with Jesus. Right. And so Jesus already did it. He already fulfilled the law. He was tempted in all points like we are yet without sin. 
He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was put on Jesus, or chastisement of our peace. Wait, chastisement of his peace was put on us. He took our punishment, and God put on him the iniquity of us all. So God, God punished Jesus for our sins. He gave us his righteousness. I received all that. So there was no sin I was going to commit that was going to take away from that. There was nothing I could do to make God love me less. He loved me when I was still a sinner. Jesus died for me when I was a sinner. And there was no righteous act I was going to do to make him love me more. God demonstrated his love toward me. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. He's not going to love me more because I do something quote unquote good. He's not going to love me less because I do something bad. Right. He loved me when I was no good. He knew I was no good. He knows that in my flesh dwells no good thing. But he loved me anyway. And he died for me. And my righteousness is the righteousness of Christ. It's not mine. I didn't have any. And I'm going to, I got a trillion more things to say, but I'm going to finish up with this. And this is what I was. And this is the end of Romans 9. It's talking about the Gentiles versus the Jews. The Gentiles didn't have the word of God or the law. But it says, what should we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, they weren't trying to do it. They have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. So they're trying to do it, didn't get it. The Gentiles didn't know anything about it, but they got it. And he says, why? Because they sought it, the Jews, he's talking about, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it's written, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And so they didn't do it. And so he says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And that was me. I had a zeal for God. I was trying to find him. I was looking for him. I was trying to be a good girl and all that stuff. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. I was self-righteous. Mm-hmm. I, I was self-righteous. I was trying to please God by what I did. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So I had to find out that I wasn't good enough that it's not about my good, it's about my bad, it's about my sin. I had to recognize why Jesus came to pay for that sin. I had to turn my life over to him and receive his forgiveness and his righteousness and rest in that. And when I did that, I was born again. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Amen. Life. I had the Son. I had eternal life. My sins were gone. They were blotted out from the books that God had written them down and recorded them in and thrown in the sea of forgetfulness as far as the East is from the West, never to be remembered again. So my sins were gone. And I was declared righteous and just, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. And that's why he did it. 
And now I have that. And now I'm not looking at myself and how inadequate I am. I'm looking at how adequate more than sufficient Christ is and how he already finished it on that cross. It is finished. The debt is paid. The work is done. He's the perfect lamb. Hallelujah. And he took care of it. He pleased the father. And so now I rest in him and I'm accepted in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. So I'm accepted in him because God accepted his son and I'm in his son and I have everlasting life. And uh, I just rejoice in him. Praise God. Wow. You know, I love how you laid out, you know, the step by step. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. And I, uh, you opened up, it stood out to me how you, you opened up your testimony with um, saying that there are a lot of good people in hell. And it brought to my attention, uh, literally, I think it was yesterday, two days, um, I spend a lot of time online trying to connect with Christians to get them to come on the show until it, it grows enough that they, they're contacting me. But I came across a video... And it was a group of Christians at, at a college. They did kind of uh, a case study, and they, they took four random students from this school, and they didn't tell them what it was about. They just said they were going to ask them a couple questions and record their responses. And all four of them, they, they sat them down in front of a camera, and they asked the question, why do you think you deserve to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. they, just that question to all yeah. four different kids. And they they pan between each one. And, you know, the one kid's saying, well, I'm a good son. I, I get good grades. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I don't do any crime. You know, and then they switch to the next guy. And he, he says, well, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church every Sunday. You know, I, I pray before my meals. And then they pan to the third guy, and he doesn't say anything, and he's kind of like him and Han. And mm. then they, they go to the next guy, and he says, you know, well, I'm a good guy. Uh, you know, I never went to jail. I'm not in, never been incarcerated. And for like three minutes, they, they plotted together a whole clip of all of these guys praising themselves, except the, one, mm -hmm. the, the third guy, he said, he, he finally responded, and he said, I don't. I don't deserve to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. And he said, you know, and he, he preached the gospel. And I was like, you know, what an accurate representation of society today. Because yes. everybody thinks, you know, I'm a good person and, and I'm going to yes. go to heaven. And yes. it's sad. It's so even, terrifying. Even think, well, I only murdered one person and I never ate them like he did, you know. Right. <laughs> Or, or, you know, I may have raped women, but I never raped children, you know? Yeah, right. It's, it's unbelievable. And relative righteousness. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, it, and, 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 and there was this one scripture in Isaiah that says, we are all like, like a leaf and we're just going to fade away in our iniquities. And he says, and all of our righteousnesses, it's plural, which means everything we do that we think is a good thing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Yeah, right. And then 
that's one of what I learned that Hebrew filthy rags means a used menstrual rag, mm-hmm. a, a rag of a woman's period. Yep. So it's like I was trying to offer to God that blood, the scuzzy blood of a woman's menstrual rag instead of the pure holy blood of his son Jesus. Right. Because my that's what my good works were like to him. That's something you hide and get rid of and throw away, you know? Yeah. And yeah, we're trying to offer that to God. And he says, that's what it is in my sight and in my nostrils. And he said, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, there's none righteous, he said. No, not one. So he's talking about the self-righteous, and that was me. And that's why I had to learn about my sin and why I was separated from God. And I had to see my sin. And then I had to re- I had to repent of my righteousness. <laughs> I yeah. had to learn that. Yeah, right. And repent of my repent of my good, not just my bad, because my good isn't good enough. And in the eyes of God, good is perfect. That's why I said there's only one good, and that's God. And so we can compare to somebody and look good. We can compare to Hitler and look great. Yeah. But if we compare to Jesus and His words, we don't. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, it's another, it's a sign of the state of the church today. And and you, you laid that out perfectly, because after you got saved, you had no discipleship, and you were just, like you said, floundering and around trying to find your way, and it was mm-hmm. nothing but but false teachings and, and all this stuff that, you know, and, and that's why three of these four students think it's their works that can get them into heaven because there isn't many out there today preaching the truth or telling you how to actually get to heaven you know which is i remember i remember thinking about that after i was saved after i was learning i'm like i thought about you know i thought if my good deeds outweighed my bad and i was a good person and not real bad i'd go to heaven and i'm thinking where'd i get that from right because I don't remember anybody teaching me that specifically. I mean, obviously, your parents and nuns, everybody, they tell you be good. But but it wasn't like, if you're good, you go to heaven. I don't know specifically they said that. But in Adam, we all ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And so, you know, there's something in us that knows we should be good and not bad. And so something in us desires that and most people will go to hell trying to be a good person i mean now wickedness is abounding and people their conscience is seared and now there's a lot more evil but but your average person you know tries to be a decent person and not real wicked right and then they're shocked when they end up in hell yeah it's what a scary thought you know and it's you know that's why it's so important like this that's why i started the the show doreen because you know the Lord's been dealing with me with you know doing a couple things with with my call, but what I've seen since I've I've only been saved uh, March next month will be four years, and mm. growing up for me I was agnostic, but there were Christians that I knew in my life, and I thought all of them were Christians. Well, when I got born again, it was like a reality check because I started to see. All these people claiming that are Christians, they're not born again. They don't even, they think they're going to heaven because of their good deeds. And yeah, they believe that God's real and that's what qualifies them as a Christian. And I'm thinking like, he led me to do this show to kind of show the world what it means to be born again and what happens when you're born again and how there is a supernatural change that takes place in your heart and you become a new creation at the snap of a finger. And yes. it's amazing that most people don't don't know this. 
And that's what I tell people sometimes. Like, if you prayed a sinner's prayer and nothing changed, you're not saved. Right. If you you become a new creation, old things pass away, all things become new. There has to be a change. God isn't going to leave you like that. Right. And I know people and their testimonies. You know, at some point in their life, they prayed a sinner's prayer, maybe got water baptized and stuff. You know, they memorized verses, went to church, but they but they didn't get saved. No and change. then later, as an adult, they did and found out that they weren't saved. And Jesus said, many, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out devils in your name? Yeah. In your name, do wonderful works. And he'll say, depart from me, you who work iniquity. iniquity. I never knew you. Knew you. Yep. So they were never saved. And so he says, examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. And, you know, consider our ways. We got we to gotta be diligent to make our call and election sure. And so if, if, if you've never... If you've never received Christ, you need to, you don't, if we, whoever believes on Jesus, put your faith in him, believe means depend on, rely on, you know, trust in him and what he did, not just believe facts and receive him, then you're not condemned. But if you haven't done that, you're condemned already. Right. You haven't believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And the name is Jesus, which means God is salvation. Right. Your church isn't salvation. Your good deeds aren't salvation. God is salvation. God's the one who saved us. God sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He was introduced as savior. He wasn't introduced as teacher or a prophet or a miracle worker. He was all that. But he was introduced as savior. Because he came to seek and save that was lost. He came to this earth to have a human body so he could sacrifice it. So he could live the perfect life in our place. Fulfill the law. Then take the penalty of the broken law. The wages of sin is death. He paid that wage. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you don't pay for a gift. You don't work for a gift. The one who gives you the gift pays for it. And Jesus paid for our gift of eternal life with his life because the life of the flesh is in the blood and he poured that blood out for us and then ask we receive that's how it works it's already paid for it's our gift amen it is it is finished which is right on the cover of the book how to live for god it is finished you Mm -hmm. know and everybody needs to you know it's amazing um Seeing, all, hearing all these different testimonies now these days, and how people got saved, and how you know they were brought up, and it's amazing to see how you know the differences. Like so, for my case, I I wasn't you know religious. I didn't learn anything that was false growing up, you know. But I was agnostic, and I went into a, a heavy metal you know aspect, and I went into all all sorts of nonsense, you know, and got demons attached to me, so on and so forth. And I got saved at 33 years old. And, you know, I think back and wonder how much of my calling, you know, I threw away by living for myself and, and doing all this. And, you know, and then listening to somebody like your testimony, who was brought up in the Catholic teaching, and you you were taught all of this error and, and all this wrong teaching, and you had to unlearn. I mean, after yeah. you got saved, you had to unlearn uh-huh. so much. And, I, and it, I think, like, praise God that, you know, for me, I, I came in hearing the message of the cross, which is almost unheard of anymore with new converts. And, 
you know, but, but on the, the interim or the opposite, like I wasted most of my life, you know, living for myself, you know, it's a trade-off, but it's, it, that's the, the, the thing I see today is, you know, most people came from a religious background and they have to unlearn. And some people struggle real hard with, with unlearning some things and some never do, you know, and some of it sticks around. It's just praise God that, you know, he, he led you, you know, and that's because you were hungry and you, you were searching for righteousness and he's those who knock, you know, yeah, he showed and you. And the funny, the funny thing is it was that, that new age guy who said he was Christian. He wasn't, who was teaching. And he said, don't believe me. Don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. And then he explained that there were people in the town of Berea, mm-hmm. and God said they were more noble than the people in Thessalonica, a different town, because when Paul the apostle came to preach to them, those in Thessalonica believed it. Right. But the ones in Berea, they listened, but then they went home and diligently searched the scripture to see if what Paul said was right or not. Yep. He said they're more noble than the other ones. So he said, be a Berean. And I remember I went home that night and I was going to look something up about what he talked about. Cause I remember I'm a new believer and he said something and he says, Oh, y'all know the story of Joshua or something. And I'm like, no, I don't never heard of the guy. Don't know what you're talking about, you know, or whoever it was. And then, so many things they act like you know and if if you aren't taught the word of god you don't know right and we can't assume people know yeah so i did it so i went home that night and i wanted to look something up and so i'm like okay let me look in the index i pick up my bible and god you didn't put an index in here i said okay let me look at the table of contents then i go to the front and there's no table of contents and i'm like god How am I supposed to find this? This is a big book. I don't know where to look. The guy told me to look it up. I don't know how to find this. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and, and I remember praying that I wouldn't get deceived. And, and I did get deceived. And I did get into a lot of false teaching. But God allowed it. And then thankfully put me in a church where I unlearned stuff. But then I had to go to a different church. To grow in grace, right? The knowledge of the Lord. I learned stuff about Him. I learned a lot of good doctrine, but then I had to go somewhere else where I would learn the movement and operation of the Holy Spirit and the message of the cross. That the way to get grace, we access God's grace by the faith, right? The faith and the sacrifice, the faith and the blood. So the way to get the grace is only through the faith. And that faith is always, in the Greek, it's always specific, the faith, not just right. general faith. Yep. And it has to do with the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the faith to go to the cross. And it was faith in the sacrifice, faith in the finished work of the cross. And so that's a whole, lots of other stuff that I've learned so much over the years of how to rest in him and what the message of the cross means. But I have found that rest and I've found how to get grace and how to believe and receive. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. And, uh, you know, real quick before I I give the altar call, I want to, um, I want to ask you at what point then throughout your testimony, did, did Dan end up getting saved? That's a whole nother thing, but it was six years after I did. 
so so that was after we moved up here to new york yeah and so you know i mean that would it's i'm just thinking you don't have time to get into it right now <laughs> well we could totally do another episode of, yeah i'd love uh, to do, do dan's testimony sometime because yeah. he's got a great one too well, yeah, you know, let's schedule that. sometimes we think only the good ones are the ones who are really horrible, wicked sinners. But, you know, I was a sinner. Self-righteousness yeah. is a sin. Right. And and then my other sins, I, I just covered them up. You know, I tried not to do them. But, you know, then you just lie about them and pretend you didn't do them and deny right. them. And, and so self-righteousness is denying that you need God, that you're going to do it yourself. And it's, that's... Uh, as much a sin as drug addiction so yeah right you know well all right yeah well uh we could definitely um whenever you're free and have the time i mean I, i'd be glad to do another one what you do covering dan so you don't have to go in too much of that now i just i was just curious how long after you got saved that yeah it was he six ended years up. after and those were those were the hardest six years of our marriage we had i think it was seven or eight years where we were both unbelievers you know we had a good time it was good right but then when I got saved and he wasn't, it was like the demons in him turned on me, you mm, know? Yeah. And things got bad. We were, you know, we're, can two walk together except they be agreed? I'm going to heaven. He's going to hell. Right. They didn't like it. And, you know, I didn't understand it was demons then, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't, I thought it was just him being mean, but, you know, it was actually the spirits in him. And, and substance abuse opens us up to spirits, whether it's wine and spirits that, we lose control of our own faculties and mind and they step in and take a control or drug addiction, you know, drug use. And that opens you up to the spirit world. There's lots of things that can open you up, but then you're under their influence. Same way we can open ourselves up to God and let God influence us and do things by believing in his sacrifice and, and having our faith proper, then God can do stuff in our life. Well, when we do certain other things, then we open ourselves up to the devils, the demons, the ones who, you know, take you in the other direction. Right. So two can't walk together except they be agreed. And and it, it, they were our hard years. And then, then you got saved and praise the Lord. Things got good and then got better and got really good. <laughs> praise God. Praise God. And, and God did call him, as I told you in the beginning. God ended up calling him into ministry right. and he became a missionary and went all over the world. So, you know, that thing I was believing for, God did make something awesome of him. And when Dan passed away, it was either the next day or two days after. I don't remember. God gave me a scripture in Revelation 14, 13. And then two or three other people around the world sent me that same one, some in Spanish or English, the exact same verse out of all the verses of the Bible. So for confirmation. And I forget how it starts, but it says, um, blessed are they which die in the Lord from henceforth, even forevermore. Yea, saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors, but their works do follow them. Mm. So Dan is resting from his labors, but his works do follow them. And people are still getting saved. People are still getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've got reports of people getting healed. We had this old Indian couple who got saved listening to our radio programming, and they'd been living in sin for 45 years. And after they got saved, they came up to the radio station and talked to our, our guy who runs it and says, we got to get married. This isn't holy. Yeah. <laughs> well, so they're hallelujah. getting sanctified. 
and he he performed the marriage ceremony because the holy spirit convicted them you're sinning and this is not holy and so they came up and got married and 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 so there's just uh, pastors, there's pastors who quit the ministry, gotten discouraged, and then they hear the program or they get a copy of Dan's book, and then they've gone back because now they're not doing it themselves. And now they're resting in the finished work and understand. And, you know, it's just God's still using him and his work is still continuing right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, hallelujah. And, you know, I, I think this is a good place here. We could start wrapping it up and, uh, give people an opportunity to accept the Lord and repent. You know, you gave yes. uh, a fantastic uh, testimony. You know, it was, it was so captivating. I love how you laid it out from, from start to finish. You know, it was, it was almost as simplistic as, as Dan's book, which is awesome. You know, so, so anybody out there uh, that listens to this tonight or whenever you hear this in the future, if what was said here moved on your heart or if, you don't know the Lord tonight, or maybe you have known the Lord and you've walked away. Well, if you want to come back to the Lord, or this is your first time, we want to give you an opportunity tonight to pray with us and accept the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart. And it's not the words that save you. If you believe this in your heart, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and that he died on the cross and rose three days later, he will come into your heart and he will save you where you sit right now. And he will change your life at the snap of a finger. So tonight, I'm going to lead us in a sinner's prayer. Sister Doreen is going to repeat after me. And you guys just follow along with us and, and repeat after us and we'll go from there. Dear God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. I come to you today as a lost sinner. I come to you today as a lost sinner. I'm asking you that you save my soul. I'm asking you that you save my soul. And cleanse me from all sin. And cleanse me from all sin. I realize in my heart the need for salvation. I realize in my heart the need for salvation. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. I am accepting Christ into my heart. I'm accepting Christ into my heart. And what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption. And what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. In obedience to your word, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in my heart God's raised him from the dead. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You have said in your holy word which cannot lie. You said in your holy word, which cannot lie. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. I've called upon his name exactly as you said. And I believe that right now I am saved. I, I believe that right now I am saved. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. And hey, guys, if you prayed with us tonight and you have a born-again experience that you want to share, or if you just have a testimony of what God is doing in your life, reach out to me. You could get a hold of me at my email. It's rustpodcast at proton.me. That's rustpodcast at proton.me. 
Find me on social media. I'm all on, you know, Instagram, Facebook. Just get a hold of me. We want to share the world with the world what God is doing and, and you know, share his glory with everybody else. Like the time is really tight right now, and we need to get as many people saved as possible. Sister Doreen, I, I appreciate you coming on tonight. It's been such a blessing to hear your testimony. Oh, Kirk. Thank you for having me. It was a, a joy to share. Uh, yeah, <laughs> amen. The Lord, the Lord has done so much for me and for Dan, and it's just amazing. He is so good. Well, uh, this will be, this will be one of many. You know, you could come <laughs> on as many times. You got an open door policy here with Russ Podcast, and you can come on anytime <laughs> you want. You want to share any kind of testimony or any story? I, I'm more than glad to. Uh, to, to put it out there and I'll, I'll definitely get in touch with you here afterwards and uh, we'll set something up for you to, to go over Dan's testimony thank you I would love to do that and and I just love talking about the Lord because oh, there's nothing better amen you and me both alright All right, sister well it's been a pleasure take care God bless and everybody out there we love you We'll see you next time. Doreen, take care. And you too. And God bless all you guys out there.